0: Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message excited to get to hang out this morning and talk about something I'm very passionate about. Uh, we've been in a series called You Asked For It. And the cool thing about this series is you actually helped determine the content. And so uh, a little bit a while ago on Easter, we uh, did a survey asking what would be the most helpful questions to have answered in the form of a message. And so those top four questions ended up being this series. And so we're in week three of this series. And the question that we're going to answer today is why can't I stop struggling with the same sin? Why can't I stop struggling with the same sin? You feel the air just going to get sucked out of the room. Hey, listen, you asked for it. Um, Hey, just by a quick show of hands, and don't worry, it's not going to be too revealing. I'm not just, who has a sin problem, okay? But um, I do want to ask, how many of you have ever done something that you didn't mean to do? You didn't mean to do. I like to call those, um, like a did I do that moment, or if you've been around for a hot minute, a did I do that moment. Uh, Yeah, have you ever had one of those moments as a parent where you're like, why did I just react like that? Why did I just blow up on my kids like that? You know, why did I do that? Or uh, maybe you're in a dating relationship, or, or you know, fellas, she asked the right question at the wrong time, and you just. You weren't in the position to give the best answer, right? And so you're like, well, uh, why did I respond that way? Why did I say that? Or uh, maybe you were at school or uh, at work and you just, something happened and you're like, well, did, I just, did I just do that? Why did I do that? I know I'm a nervous winker, so you can just imagine the kind of predicaments I got myself in in professional settings. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. Um... The, the, the phrase, did I do that, um, that actually comes from something like way back in the day, a little something I like to call TGIF. Thank God it's Friday night, and uh, they had some uh, TV shows that were all super family friendly, and there was actually a character on one of the TV shows. I, I mean, he's just all-time high uh, acting experience, right? And so this character, his name was Steve Urkel. Steve Urkel. Does anyone remember Steve Urkel? Yeah. For those of you uh, that maybe aren't as familiar, here's Steve's thing. Sweetest human in the entire universe. Just couldn't hurt a fly on purpose. But on accident... Steve could cause utter disaster. Everything, everywhere he went, everything, he, he just touched it. It broke. It blew up. There were fires, okay? This was Steve's life, everywhere he went. And so whenever one of those situations would happen, the camera would pan in on his face and he would make that face and he would go, did I do that? Right? Right? And so I actually have a special affinity for Steve. Uh, we're, we're pretty closely related because one of my major, did I do that, moments was when I thought it would be cool to look like him. <laughs> Hashtag no filter, y'all. That's real. It's a real deal, right? Did I do that? I did. College just gets the best of us, right? Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. No matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, if this is your first day at church or you were born here, Okay, No matter your family background, no matter where you came from, the truth is, we've all had that experience that, ah, uh, did I do that moment? And if you're in here and you're like, I resonate with that, here's what you need to know. You're not alone. It's all of us. I um, mean, so I was thinking about this question, why can I stop struggling with the same And and it reminded me of this guy in the Bible. His name's Paul. And Paul, like, if there is a Mount Rushmore of Bible characters, dude's face just front and center. Okay, this guy, he started a ton of the first churches that ever existed in the Bible. Actually, he wrote more chapters in the Bible than I'm sorry, not more chapters. Let's get real. Books like Galatians, like First and Second Corinthians. Like, Paul wrote more. of the books in the Bible than anyone else. Actually, a lot of the books in the Bible in that New Testament, the second half, they were actually Paul writing to the churches that he helped start. Like, he's a big, big deal. Um, And so here's what he has to say. Paul actually speaks about those, did I do that moments? And this is what he has to say. It's in Romans chapter seven. It says this, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. In other words, if when I do something wrong, I know that it's wrong, then there's also something inside of me that knows God's ways are right, right? So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature because. I want to do what is right but I don't I can't I want to do what is good but I don't has anyone ever felt like that anyone in here I wanted I'm trying I don't want to do what is wrong but I do it anyway and I love the way the message says verse 20 it says something deep has gone wrong within me and it gets the better of me every time And so, here's the deal. We've all felt like that, right? We've all felt like that. And when I was thinking about um, that feeling, I thought about, you know, those times, those moments where I've been like, why can't I stop? I'm trying, but I can't stop. And I thought about how much shame... I feel how much shame is attached to that question. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about when you feel guilty or when you feel convicted. I think a lot of times those are used interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. And shame is very, very different. And so um, I wanted to go ahead. I want to put the definition of shame up here. Here's shame. Shame is the feeling of being flawed that causes us to be fearful of being uncovered, unworthy, and or rejected is anyone signing up for that feeling (laughs) like no like I want to get as far away from that as possible right but here's what I think happens. somewhere along the way we start to think or believe maybe we're taught that shame is good like shame's good for you right have you ever heard this phrase you should be ashamed of yourself right Like, you should be ashamed. Like, you should feel that way. That's a good thing. You should be ashamed of yourself. And I think what's happening a lot of times is people are getting shame and conviction or shame and guilt confused. And so, I wanted to take a second to make some differences, distinguish some differences between guilt and shame. So, here we go. We're going to walk through these pretty quickly. It says, guilt focuses on behavior, but shame focuses on self. Guilt focuses on an action or an attitude, but shame focuses on our identity. See, guilt says, I made a mistake, but shame says... I am a mistake. See, guilt causes us to do things differently, but shame causes us to hide from God, from each other, and from ourselves. And so here's the thing here's the thing about shame. Now that we've established, it's not good, right? God doesn't want people to feel shame. Here's the thing. Um, Researchers and actually anthropologists, which are people who study shame or study people, have associated shame highly, highly, highly with addiction, with depression, with violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders, See, a God who is passionate about sharing good news with people is not pumped about people feeling that. And actually what shame does is it prevents you from getting better. It prevents you from growing. And what it actually does is it traps you in a cycle and you get stuck in this cycle of shame around and around and around. And so I want to share this cycle of shame with you. Here's what it looks like. It always starts with you making a mistake, right? So maybe uh, you drink too much again, or or maybe you just, you, you can't stop lying, right? You blow up, you have anger issues, right? And so then you move over and you start to feel ashamed and again this is different than I made a mistake this is I am a mistake I don't there's something wrong with me I don't I don't know what I can do and so we don't want to feel that way we don't want to feel hopeless right and so what do we do we want to fix ourselves I mean how many times have we said I will never again right I'm gonna fix myself I am going to make myself perfect I'm not gonna do this again and, and what happens every single time we do it again make another mistake it's like it's like Paul talks about I didn't want to do what was wrong but I did and so man we felt really bad when we made the mistake the first time but what about the second or the third or the fourth right then we start to lose hope and we're like I will always be this way this is just who I am so then we go back from that ashamed we start making other mistakes and around and around and around and around we go until and that's the issue it never stops. We never get to a point where we're like, I have achieved perfection. I figured this out. That never happens. And in fact, what happens is we work and we try and we try and we try and we try so hard to get better. And really what's happening is it's like quicksand. We just sink and we sink and we sink and we get deeper and deeper in our shame because we can't fix ourselves. It's not possible. We weren't designed to do it. So that was a huge part of my life, you know, that definition of shame. It talks about the feeling of being flawed that causes us to be fearful, uncovered, unworthy, or rejected. That was a lot of my life. I felt that for a lot of my life. And so what I did is I manipulated situations so I never had to feel that again, right? And and so what I did is I just lied a lot. Okay, like. A lot. Um, I actually was trying to think through when I was younger, like, when is the first memory I have of me lying? And it was actually when I was like six or seven, and I was being babysat by my cousin. I called her my aunt, you know? And she was like one of my favorites. And um, she had made dinner for us. She had made mashed potatoes, which I love, and brown gravy, which I hate. Because here's the deal. When I see brown gravy, I look at it, and I just have questions, why is it brown liquid, and why are we putting that in her mouth? I don't understand, right? So this started at a very young age for me. My whole family loves gravy. They love brown gravy, and I love my aunt, and I didn't want to make her feel bad. And so instead of saying, hey, I don't like gravy, what I said was, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, I can't eat that. And she looked at me, and she was like, why? And I said, I'm allergic, to gravy. And here's the thing. For some of you, you might think um, maybe you're gluten-free, right? And so you're like, she could be allergic to the flour and the gluten. This is 1995, right? This is long, 20 years before the dawning of the gluten-free friendly era, okay? I probably had a whole box of Twinkies and Hostess brownies, right, before that, okay? The issue wasn't that I was allergic. The issue was I was lying, and we both knew that, right? And so that was so much of my life. And for years and years, I mean, I just lied. And I really wanted people to love me, and I didn't feel like I was good enough, so I just lied about a lot of stuff. And then my lying would jeopardize the relationships I was trying to keep, and so I wanted to fix it, and I tried to fix it by lying, and it never worked. And then I felt so, so bad, and I would say, you know, I'm never gonna lie again, and then I'd lie again. And then there came a point where I felt so ashamed, that I started drinking to numb the shame that I felt from my lying. I started drinking and drinking that I'd lie about my drinking and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper over years, I just got deeper into the pit and I couldn't get myself out. And that's what it looks like when you try to fix yourself on your own. It's not possible. It just doesn't work that way. But there's really, really good news And I am so excited to be here to tell you that who I am, you're looking at a living example that that cycle can be broken. And so if I'm you, if I'm in your seat, my question is, how? Okay, cool. That's awesome. Good news. Tell me how. And I would love to. Okay, so I want to tell you a story about a guy in the Bible. His name's David. Um, This story is found in the book of 1 Chronicles. And so David is another one of those guys that, like, if there's a Mount Rushmore Bible characters, okay, face right next to Paul. Big, big deal. He was actually one of the very first kings of Israel. And uh, he kind of had this, like, Cinderella ascension to the throne kind of thing. Like, he didn't go looking to be king. It just sort of fell in his lap, Right. And so, um, David, actually, in the Bible, God refers to him as a man after my own heart. <sighs> I want to be called that, right? A woman. <clears throat> I want to be called a woman after God's own heart, right? Um, but when I hear that, I think, oh, David must be perfect. He must have had it all together. He's a man after God's own heart. And no sir. dude makes some mistakes. Like, imagine your mistakes. Like, take your worst one and just make it three times as high, okay? Like, big, like, David made major mistakes. If you just read through his life, just read it. You'll look at it and be like, what's this rated? How is it in the Bible? I don't understand what's happening, right? So this is David. And uh, David has this experience where he makes a mistake. It's not one of his first ones. Um, But what happens is he's a king and he does this census of all of his people. Right. And uh, God's not pumped about it. And the reason why is that it's basically him saying, like, I don't know if I need you, God. We got we got a nice size crew here. Right. And so we pick up in verse seven and here's what it says. It says, God was very displeased with the census and he punished Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, and this was his message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict it on you. And so Gad goes and he tells David those things. He tells him the choices and then David responds and he says this. I am in a desperate situation, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. And so when I read these verses, what I see are three things David did, three choices that David made to break the cycle of sin and shame in his lives. And here's the first one. The first choice is to get honest with yourself. You got to get honest with yourself about the fact that you can't fix yourself. In verse eight, David, David acknowledges, he says, I've sinned greatly, and then in verse 13, he goes on and say, I'm in a desperate situation. What's he doing? He's acknowledging where he's at, what he's done and where he's at. You know, I was thinking about, I mentioned earlier that um, shame is highly associated with addiction and uh, depression. And so I was reading actually um, through the 12 steps of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, this program, and I... I thought it was very interesting. There's 12 steps, and the first three, which is 25%. I want to read the first three steps to you, okay? Um, So the first step in this process is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And here's what, it was found, what I found was interesting, that this isn't church, okay? This is a program that millions of people all around the world who, who may or may not have walked in that door believing in Jesus can all agree that we can't do this by ourselves. And not only that, we can't do this without God. And I was thinking about, you know, last week we celebrated our very first birthday as a church. Happy birthday, Queen City. And one of the main verses, the main verse, actually, that we themed our celebration off of was Ephesians 3.20. And here's what it says. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And I've, I've heard that verse. It's a huge part of our story, right? So I've read it a lot. And I've always focused on now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How big is God, Right. That's what I've always kind of come away with when I read that verse. But recently, I feel like God started to show me the power in the second half of that verse. That he's able to do that according to his power that is at work within us. And I think a lot of us, if we were to get really, really honest, what our lives would say we believe that verse should say is according to our efforts that are at work within us. And there are people in this room that you've tried and tried and tried and tried, and you worked so hard for so long, you've, you've tried so hard to try to fix yourself, and you've gotten to a point where you're so exhausted that you stopped. Like, I've tried to stop blowing up on people. You know, I, I've tried to stop this addiction. And can I tell you why you're so tired? It's because you were never designed to fix yourself. It's not in your DNA. And so I read verse 13, and I, I have so much respect for David. He says, I am in a desperate situation. What's he doing? He doesn't, he doesn't lie about his issue. He doesn't try to blame it on someone else. He doesn't try to cover it up. What does he do? He says, I'm raising a white flag, God. I need, I need help. I, I messed up big, and I don't know what to do. And I think there's something so special about that moment where we come to the realization, I can't fix myself. I can't do this without help. Something shifts in that moment. It's like doors open to our wholeness and our healing. And so the first thing we have to do, that's the first thing we have to do is get honest with ourselves. Here's the second thing. We have to get help from people. I love verse 9 in this verse. I think it's so powerful and so overlooked, maybe. Um, Here's what it says It says, Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, and this was the message. And I want you to write this question down. This question changed my life, okay? Who do you have in your life who loves Jesus and knows your secrets? Who do you have in your life that loves Jesus and knows your secrets? I want you to look at me. So important. If your answer to that question is nobody, you are in trouble, friend. You're in trouble. Listen, not everybody needs to know, but somebody has to know. You know, I think it's so interesting. um, In this situation, like God calls David a man after his own heart, right? Like David and God are boys. They talk all the time, right? But in this particular situation, God doesn't talk to David. He talks to Gad, that God chooses to go to someone else to talk to David about his problem. And, and sometimes the voice of God in our life sounds a lot like the voice of somebody else, right? And for some of you, your biggest hesitation, the biggest thing keeping you from, from sharing your secrets is you're like, I don't wanna be exposed. I don't, I don't want them to know that about me. I don't want them to look at me differently. And here's the thing, I get it. I get that. I've lived that life, but you're missing it. Because the point of sharing your secrets is not to expose you. It's to free you. Because the truth is you don't own your secrets. They own you. They determine what you do, what you don't do. Who do you hang out with? Who do you don't hang out with? You don't want to slip up in front of the wrong person, right? So you're just going to avoid them, right? Our secrets are making all sorts of decisions about, can God use me for that? No. Right? Our secrets make so many decisions that never even actually cross through our minds. They're running the show. And there's a a researcher, her name's Brene Brown, she researches shame, and and I love this quote that she talks about um, in uh, one of her books. She says, if you put shame in a Petri dish and you want it to grow, all you need is three things for it to grow exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. But if you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. In other words, two of the most powerful words we could ever hear when we're in struggle is me too. Me too. Listen, this is why we are so passionate about small groups. We talk about it all the time. And the reason why is we want everyone to experience me too. That when you share your struggles, someone says, hey, you know what? You made a mistake, but you're not a mistake. Hey, you made that choice, but you're not that choice. And you don't have to keep making that choice. Listen, God still has a plan for you. You haven't broken what he set up for you. You're not too far gone. We all need that. And that is why we won't stop talking about the 50 small groups we have going on this semester, because that is our dream for everybody in this room to experience that. And so if you haven't gotten the chance to sign up yet, we have the, uh, the link on the screen. Please go check it out. Listen, there's like 10 or 11 weeks left. People don't even know each other's names really yet. If you don't have name tags, like this is real, okay? There's plenty of time you just find one that for the time that works best for you and um it really doesn't matter what it's about it just matters that you're there um and so uh, a while back i went through a season and in this season i had a lot of secrets and i had tried so so hard to fix myself and i i i i couldn't it was like the harder i tried the more i I messed up and, and I, and I finally got to a point like David where I was like, I am as, I'm in a desperate situation and I need help and I need it now. And so I remember, and this is well into the, the, the church planning season. So it's not even one of those things where it's like, I didn't know a better way to do it. Like I was very well aware of the weight of the choices I was making, but I couldn't stop. And so I walked into the Cromer's house. I remember I talked to Heather and then I talked to Brian. And let me tell you the first words that came out of Heather's mouth. The first thing she did was she hugged me. And the second thing she did was say, I'm so sorry that you're going through this all by yourself. You've been going through this all by yourself. And I can tell you that I expected a whole lot of things on the other side of that confession, but compassion was not one of them. And over an extended period, I was loved. I was hugged. I was affirmed. I was told that I still had a purpose, that I was still family, and that God could still use me, that he wasn't done yet. And then I was walked through a process to my freedom in a life full or free of secrets and shame. And I want you to know that that's available to every person in this room. That there was no, I to this day have never experienced a greater feeling than the weight of having all that I was carrying lifted off my shoulders in an instant. And what I can tell you is that your secrets, they're not worth your freedom and I never would have experienced that freedom if I hadn't made the choice to get help from people and so there's one more choice and we can't we can't end without that choice is the most important choice in this whole process and and that third choice is to choose to get connected to God and when I was walking through that season yeah, I've had seasons where um, I was not following Jesus, and so my choices reflected that, and I, I felt bad, and I felt shame, but I had never had a season where I loved Jesus, and I was trying to serve him, and all at the same time, I'm over here doing something very different and from what I believe to be God's best for me, right? And so I never in my life experienced so much shame at one time, and I— I was reading through the life of David at this time, and and I truly believe that was God's mercy over my life because I couldn't wrap my mind around this idea that David could be called a man after God's own heart after all that he did, that he could still be loved and used by God after the choices he made. And really, I couldn't wrap my mind around the idea, how could God still love and use me after the choices I've made? And I remember I was sitting on my windowsill, and I was reading, and I felt like it was like a light bulb went out, and it was like I got it. But the truth is that David wasn't a man after God's own heart because he was perfect like God was perfect. David was a man after God's own heart because he knew that connection to God's heart was the whole point. That my whole life, anytime I'd made major mistakes, I ran away. I wanted to fix myself so I could come and I could present myself worth God's love. But what David knew was that the whole thing, the whole answer, the solution is to run straight to God. That He is their only hope at becoming the person that He w- created me to be, that I am. <laughs> that it was never about perfection. It was always about connection to Him in His heart. I remember sitting there and I, I, that moment, in that moment, everything changed. That when I read verse 13, let me fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great. I realized that God's mercy was great for me. And there are some of you in this room, you need to realize that God's mercy is great for you. No matter what you're dealing with, God's mercy is great for you. He's not done with you yet. There's still a whole lot of purpose left for you. It's still, the best is still ahead of you. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We don't have to focus so hard at being perfect if we focus all of our time and our energy and our passion on being connected to the one who is perfect, because he wants to do that inside of you. He wants to help you change what you crave. He wants to help you break what you're addicted to. He wants to help. He doesn't just want your church attendance. He doesn't just want your money. He doesn't just want you to make perfect decisions. He wants your heart, and when he has your heart, he can do the rest. I want some of you, you need to hear this, that God can never love you any more than he does right now. And God can never love you any less than he does right now. For some of you, when you sin, you have have this feeling. It's like the earth might as well split, and, and there's a massive chasm between you and God, and you're separated, and you can't reach him, and you can't touch him, no matter what you do. And the truth is, that's real, that our sin separates us from God. But the good news of the gospel is that whatever gap is created by your sin, it, it's bridged not by your actions. It's bridged by the cross. That the cross is the answer, that Jesus did everything that we could never do. He did it on our behalf, that we don't have to work so hard. Pastor Brian, he says this all the time, that the church, the church isn't a country club for perfect people. The church is a hospital for the sick. And you know what? You never get released from the ICU here. You always need Jesus. Jesus is always working inside of you to get you to the person that he wants you to be. He's always standing there going, I'm with you. Let's figure this out together. He's always there. It's the cross. The cross is the answer. Because the truth is the only way to break this cycle is this. You see, shame looks at us and shame says, here's your problem. And there's no way out. But the cross looks at you and the cross says, here's your problem and here's your way out. Jesus looks at us and he says I've got your way out just come to me just come to me How do do I stop struggling with the same sin? Just come to me. I'll fix it, I'll help you. I'll help you figure it out. You don't have to carry that weight all by yourselves. I will bridge every gap. I will bridge the gap that your sins in the past created. I will bridge the gap that your sins in the present create. I will bridge the gap that your sins that you don't even know about, that they're gonna create for you. I'll bridge that gap. I'll bridge the gap between the person that you are and the person that you wanna be, come to me. I will bridge the gap. The cross bridges the gap. So we want to give every person in this room the opportunity to bridge that gap in your lives. If you could bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to ask God, God, what are you saying to me today? What does my response need to be to this message? Maybe your response is that you need to get honest with yourself and admit where you are and that you're in over your head maybe for some of you you need to join a small group or or you need to confess to somebody and let someone walk with you through a process so that your secrets can stop owning you and maybe you're in here and and it's that you need to make a decision to follow Jesus that for the first time in your life you're going to surrender everything that you've tried and done and that you're going to let him do what only he can do and change what's inside of you and maybe you've done that before and You're here and you just feel so far from God and you just need a fresh start. And if if that's you, I would love to lead you in a simple prayer. We're not gonna point you out or make you stand or embarrass you in any way. This is a decision between you and God, but we do ask you to take a step. And that step is on the count of three for you to put your hands boldly in the air. It's not for everyone to see, it's just for you to say, God, I'm making this decision today. So if you're here and you wanna make the decision to follow Jesus, to, to give him your life, to receive grace and, and allow him to bridge your gap, I want you to, without hesitation, on the count of three, one, two, three, put your hands in the air. I see you, I'm so proud of you, I'm so proud of you. I see you, I see you. Maybe it's your first time, maybe, may, maybe you're doing it again, you're coming back to God, is there anyone else? I see you, I'm so proud. You can go ahead and put your hands down. And let's pray this. You can pray this in your heart. Just say, God, I love you so much. And Jesus, I need you. I'm so sorry that I've lived life without you. And right now, I repent. I change my mind and my direction. Will you come live inside of me? Will you change me? Will you make me brand new? I surrender everything to you. I give you my whole life. And right now, I choose to follow you. Not just in this moment, but for the rest of my life. I thank you that I have access to a relationship with you, and it's all because of Jesus. We love you so much, and it's through Jesus' name that we pray and we all said, amen. man, hey, can we take a second and celebrate with those that made that decision? Awesome! Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People.